Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. In the wellness world, we're beginning to understand that one size simply does not fit all. In terms of nutrition, this has been investigated thoroughly, and even on this podcast it has, but today we're here to talk about exercise. In the exercise prescription realm, it is believed that there is a certain exercise prescription for a certain goal or for a certain condition, and we're even beginning to apply a more holistic approach, taking into account other stressors or even current state. But is this enough? What if I told you that by lifting heavy weights and going for long, slow walks may increase your fitness? or that just by changing the time of your exercise will accelerate your results. Well, today I talk with an expert in exercise prescription and personalized wellness, and we will be discussing exactly that. Please enjoy. Awesome. Uh, So my name is Kyle Riley. Uh, My background is actually in exercise science, uh, but it's gone a long way from exercise science um, in the last eight years of being within the the health and fitness industry. Uh, I started out, I'd say, it was more... I was really, I really fell in love with the idea of lifestyle as medicine. And it was always something that was um, just very, I was always very aware of and just made a lot of sense to me in terms of how we can actually control our life um, and our health through healthy habits such as exercise, nutrition. So I really got involved within the fitness industry to begin with to really make an impact and really stamp that message and bang that drum of, you know, we can make a difference with lifestyle. Um, And it, it became, or with exercise initially, and it became very evident very quickly that there was more to this game than exercise alone Um, and if we were going to really make a difference with lifestyle we needed to look at a bit bit more of an integrated approach and look at the human body as a system of systems and look at the different links between things like um, the metabolism and your endocrine system and your ANS and your endocrine system and your gut brain links and things like that and all these things started to emerge as to how the body works in this more integrated way and just how we could really make a bigger impact if we started to bridge these different areas together exercise nutrition life uh, mindset stress levels sleep and just really what can happen when you start bringing those worlds together in terms of getting the best health yeah perfect um carl thanks for that um my first question actually is 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 holistic the holistic approach enough um i know you've had some experiences on uh and health retreats in the past and you thought that um, by attacking wellness from every angle, um, that could be the answer to overall wellness. But is it enough is my question. That is such a good question. And it was that question that has got me to where I am today. Um, yeah, in my opinion, it, it isn't enough at this stage. And it, it really pains me to say that because I'm so, <laughs> you know, I've been in that world for so long. But as you mentioned, um, the pinnacle of my realization really did come at the point where I was working at a health retreat and I'd done many studies along the way. Uh, I'd branched out of exercise. I'd started looking at some of the people's work like Paul Check and a few other holistic health experts around the world. Uh, and I started implementing these, these, these measures, looking at stress, looking at sleep, looking at nutrition and exercise. And it wasn't only me. Um, at this stage when I was working at one of the health retreats I was working at, we had an amazing team of integrated doctors, uh, exercise scientists, we had naturopaths, we had mindset coaches, we had we had what I thought was the ultimate package when it comes to really helping people understand what they need to do to get healthy. Um, 
And fascinatingly enough, uh, it, it was a, it was based around weight loss. Weight loss has always been a, a big background of mine working within the fitness industry, or fat loss as we should say. Um, and it was based around weight loss. So we were doing a lot of uh, uh, bioimpedance scans and measuring muscle mass and body fats and things like that. And I was responsible for taking the clients through all of the health measures at the start of retreats, at the end of retreats. Uh, and some people would stay not only for a week, we'd have people stay for 10, 12 weeks um, and really get to live in that controlled environment. And it's such a fascinating um, observational space when you can actually apply all of the things that you've learned about in terms of exercise, nutrition, uh, mindset, stress response, sleep, and get all the right things in, in terms of the environment right in a controlled environment to really see the power of what can happen. And, you know, when I was in that environment, I was like, this is it. This is, we're going to start seeing some huge change. And, and we did. Some people got absolutely fantastic results in terms of not only weight loss, but the health markers, uh, energy levels, the, the whole lot. But what I also saw was, um, while we had a lot of people on one side getting great results, we also had people that didn't respond. And this was just repeating. Uh, this was something that was repeating. Like this is what happened when I first started out in the industry eight years ago when I was just focusing on exercise. Some people would respond, some people wouldn't. So I kept digging because my my philosophy has always been, it's it's I'm not going to blame the client for not doing it. it. There's something I'm missing as a professional. There must be more to this human body thing. There's something that I need to explore further. Um, and yeah, this this just uh, when when I when I saw this happen, when I saw this contrast of people losing ten kilograms and people you know budging point five and some people not changing at all, it just it really just really, it made me question. Well, what's next? What layer of the onion have I not peeled in terms of I've looked at holistic health? We're in this controlled environment. People are applying the information. What am I missing as to why people aren't getting healthy? Oh, that's fantastic, and I can relate uh, entirely to that journey. You know. Um, which leads me to my next question, and that is, we all know, <laughs> quote unquote, um, <laughs> that high intensity interval training uh, is the best way to boost metabolism and burn fat. Uh, we also know that um, you know doing that first thing in the morning is a really good idea because you, you know your metabolism or your afterburner kicks in for the rest of the day. Um, yeah. We also know that um, eating a calorie-restricted diet um, based on uh, on your metabolism is the way to go. <laughs> There's a little bit of sarcasm yeah. there as well. Is this the <laughs> truth? And um, could you perhaps shed some light on these uh, these common beliefs? Absolutely. So I suppose in the weight loss world, um, you you hear all of these different things, uh, such as you know train, do your hit training in the morning, boost your metabolism, uh, you know go on your higher fat, higher protein diets, restrict calories. All of these things, I'm going to have a very different approach here and say all of these things are absolutely bang on. They're absolutely true. <laughs> um, and what what we find is in the industry um, is we've got enough people out there at this moment in time talking about their methods and what their methods should be and standing on the soapbox and it comes from really good intentions and i'm not against that at all because people are getting results and therefore they want to show people look this is what we're doing with this lifestyle thing this is how we're getting results however what we're finding is uh, for every person that's saying get up and do hit training in the morning and eat high protein high fat there's, there's people on the other end saying well do eat veg become vegetarian and you'll get the exact same results and actually go and do some steady state cardio and you can lose the same amount of fat also so there's there's, there's a confliction at the minute with um, what's right and what people should do. Um, and I think what we need to do is strip it right the way back and look at weight gain and say, right, well, what are the mechanisms around weight gain? And we know that 
or fat or body fat gain. And again, this is very relative to the individual because even, you know, the, the, the areas we're going down now, we're even looking at, you know, is there a one size or one shape that's healthy for everyone? And that's something we can maybe talk about today or mm-hmm. another time. But um, let's say for, for body fat loss or for whatever you look, you're looking for, the, the mechanics of it are we're looking at maintaining as much muscle as possible while dropping body fat. So we can keep our metabolism nice and high, have the shape that we want to have or, and whatever health benefits that come with that. And we know that weight gain itself is a byproduct of a deviation from homeostasis. So when our body's in balance, our hormones, our nervous system, our, our whole, all of our systems work in harmony and our body's working around the clock to maintain that level of homeostasis. And to the degree that we deviate from that homeostasis, we have to correct. Now, that's fine. Like you, you, you go and sprint up a hill, you get a big burst of lactic acid. It doesn't feel very good. Uh, your body corrects itself and brings you back into balance, whether that's vomiting or whether that's uh, lying on the floor and being out of breath or whatever it might be. Your body's very good at correcting itself. Um, the issue is if we continually drastically pull our, ourselves from, de- from a deviate from a, from homeostasis and continue to deviate in a in a chronic way because we're living a lifestyle or, or we're exposing our, ourselves to an environment that is causing us stress and we repeat that this is where many of our health problems come from uh, including weight gain so i see weight gain as a byproduct of that chronic deviation so what i'm getting at here is rather than looking at the diet rather than looking at like the best diet or the best exercise we know lifestyle makes a difference but what we're, what we're missing here, and, and the next step is we've got to look at um, the phenotype. And we know that phenotype, whether, whether you're exposing a phenotype of weight gain or weight loss, your phenotype is who you are right now. And what I mean by phenotype is it, it's your genes and how your genes react to, react to the environment. So who you are right now is a byproduct of your genes and, and what environment you've exposed yourself to, either in homeostasis or deviating from that. And it's a result of combining those things together that make you who you are right now mm. with the blood pressure that you do or don't have, with the weight that you've got around your stomach or not got around your stomach, with the muscle that you do or don't have. It's all related to the environment you're exposing yourself to. So um, I think what's happened over the years, just to, just to add this a little bit more, is um, we've gone from it was all genes and there's nothing in our control. So like you get the obesity gene or you get this gene and there's nothing you can do. Yeah you know, the whole big bone thing. And everyone was like, and then we stuck, we stuck with that for a while. And then we said, well, hang on a minute. This, this lifestyle makes a difference. So we switched completely from genes to right to the other end of the spectrum. And we said, it's all lifestyle. This weight loss thing is lifestyle. There's no such thing as these endomorphs. Uh, you know, like anyone can lose weight. Uh, it's all lifestyle. It's, you, you just gotta, you just gotta restrict calories. You just gotta do your exercise and, and anyone can lose weight. And it kind of went from, you know, complete victimhood of no control to, take absolute control but somewhere in the middle we, we lost the fact that genetics still play a role and genetics are the the things that make each and every one of us completely different and as a result that means the environment's going to respond to us in a very different way so long story short here what i'm getting at is the next step is looking at well yes keto's great paleo's great vegetarianism's great crossfit's awesome high intensity interval training's awesome training in the morning's awesome not having carbs after 6 p.m. is also awesome. But all of these things and all of these fads and all of these 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 messages and these sound bites that have been proposed to us over the years, they actually all work. But what we're missing is we're not applying the right intervention to the right person at the right time. We're, we're too busy focusing on what's the best intervention that we're forgetting about the very person that stood in front of us and going, hang on a minute, this person's different. What does this person need to get the best results? What does this person need to lose weight? Because it could be very, very different from the person, the next client that walks in, who may need a completely different approach. 
Fantastic answer. And um, I've got a few little things we're going to get into as a result of that. Um, so just to clarify, the study of um, your genes um, and the interplay with the environment um, equals your, your phenotypic expression. Um, but this study is called epigenetics. Am I right? Yes, that's right. Um, and that's what you're talking about right now, um, which, in my opinion, is the missing link, you know, in our mm. industry. A um, couple of really interesting points you brought up there. So um, I think one thing that we can do as health professionals is we can project our beliefs uh, or even what's worked for me as a trainer or even what's worked for one or two of my other clients onto other people. And I think that can get a little bit dangerous. I mean, I've, I've done that in the past as well because that's what Absolutely we do at the time. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and another thing was there that you quickly touched on, and I feel like this is quite a big point as well. I feel like we glorify uh, the mesomorph. I feel like everyone feels like they should look like, um, you know, that V-shaped physique um, with a slim tapered waist and the six pack abs. Um, but what you mentioned there is not everyone should or um, needs to really look like this. And this is not necessarily their best uh, expression of their genes. Am I right? That's exactly right, yeah. Beautiful. So on that note, um, can we just explore a little bit around, uh, you know, where someone might start, someone who's really struggling, maybe we'll go through a few of the the, the common patterns you see, um, the, the people or the genetic types um, or the phenotypic expression of certain individuals that really struggle to lose that. Uh, that fat um, or um, really struggle to get in condition yeah so some of the common things we're seeing right now is um, you know with the rise in popularity of things like the paleo diet with the rise in the popular popularity of um, your hit training and your high intensity work uh, what we're seeing is a lot of a lot of people that are exposing themselves to that environment to try and lose weight and um, not getting results um, and it's very, very consistent. And we actually see the size and shape of bodies can actually give us a lot of information as to as, as to why that might be. So we know that, for example, there's been so much research done on this now in different areas. We know, for example, that there are certain genes associated with people being more um, more, more responsive to power-based training. Um, and certain people that have genes that are more responsive to endurance-based training. So um one particular in uh, one study in particular actually looked at what happens when you match and mismatch genes, uh, uh, training types to gene types, and they found if you get power people to train power and endurance people to train endurance, and then you mismatch them, you get about eighty four percent non response rate in hmm. in the mis in the mismatch groups. So yeah. what I'm getting at here is there are people out there that do better with strength based power based training. They're not very good at um, buffering lactate and clearing lactate and uh, when it comes to working out these repeated high intensity bouts, um, they actually burn out really quickly and they won't be able to get the volume they need to get the workout done. Um, and then when you think of super compensation and the whole rest recovery that you need to get the response for weight loss, uh, it's actually putting more stress on their system. Mm. Se second to that, we know we've got night owl and early bird genes. So there's certain people from their chronotype based on their circadian rhythms uh, that should be reducing stress in the morning, not increasing cortisol, not increasing blood sugar, um, and actually chilling out and we know that exercise although is a good stress um in the right dose and the right amount and the right time can also be a bad stress if it's if it's exposed to the, the wrong person in the wrong wrong amount and the wrong time so if you're an, if you're a night owl and you're trading in the morning you're actually placing stress on your body at a time where you shouldn't be placing stress so already we've got two things here we've got the, the type of training 
and how we match the type of training to the right person to initiate the best response and then the timing of training and and what the best time of the training is to make sure that we're, we're, we're mapping that with things like their, their endocrine system, with the nervous system, and matching it with that chronobiology. Uh, and that's without even getting into the food side of things. Obviously, we know that some people respond better to carbohydrates. Some people look at a, a, a plate of carbs and put on five kilograms. Um, so this is where we've really started going. We've got to start looking at the person and saying, what can we do? What can we how can we apply the right environment to the right person so we actually get the best response and these people can work smarter and not harder? And yeah, there's, there's what, one, back to the point, there's one particular body type that we see or what, one or two particular body types that we see that them getting up in the morning and as, as a fitness professional or health professional, you'd look at their lifestyle diary and say, I have no idea why you're not losing weight because they'd be getting up in the morning, they'll be training five times a week, doing high-intensity <laughs> interval training, and they'll be eating the five meals a day of high-protein, low-carbohydrate, everything looks really clean, and yet you look at the results and, and the weight's barely budging. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that right there. Um, so much gold on that. So how would someone know, or how, how could someone look into their genes, um, you know, from the outside in and get some gauge on, you know, uh, what might work for them in terms of weight loss? Awesome. So what we do typically is we look at quantifying phenotype as we, as we mentioned before. So we look at rather than swabbing and just look at the genes themselves, we actually look at the person and the size, shape of the body, the hair color, eye color, skin color, the current health status to understand who they are right now. So you can actually tell a lot about a person based off their morphology the size and shape of the body which is one of the one of the 15 layers that we use when we when we look at measuring people up and working out uh, exactly what lifestyle and environment is right for their unique body uh, so with the morphology side of things this actually tells us a lot about their embryological development so it tells us about uh, what layer of the embryo was dominant in, in their development. Uh, it tells us about the hormones that are at play that creates the size, shape, and structure of that body. Uh, and therefore, from that, we can start to look at where some of these strengths and weaknesses might be within the body. So we know some people that are taller, broader, um, and have the capacity to hold larger amounts of weight. Um, in, in, in other classifications, this would be like your um, endo-ecto combination, yeah. um, have larger digestive tracts and slower metabolisms and um, a slower conversion of ATP in general. So there's more there's slower oxidizers. Yeah. So when you bring all this stuff together, we also know that these guys uh, have more of those night owl genes. Um, so when you bring all this together, you see a body that's literally designed with with good muscle mass, with um, thicker bones, with with good good lever length in terms of the biomechanics. A body that's designed for strength training. They don't do well with that quick ATP turnover. They're not very yeah. good with lactate threshold based work. We want them doing more strength based lifting, like your five by fives, where you get lots of rest in between, um, and then your more aerobic steady state cardio or using cardio where you you know your one-to-one -one ratio where you're on for a minute and then you rest for a minute at a steady state it's very uh, we just we're just leaving that lactate uh, energy system alone because it's not their strength it's not their mm -hmm. strong point similarly with the longer digestive tracts and the slow metabolism if you start bombarding a gut like this with five meals a day of high protein uh, we're going to start to see a few issues around things like constipation um, fermentation mm -hmm. you're going to start seeing issues around uh, serotonin levels uh, and as a result you, you bring all this together you've now got somebody that on the surface five meals a day high protein low carb exercising high intensity in the morning seems very very good yeah. but now we know through through deeper discovery that they've actually got night owl genes they shouldn't be stressing the body out in the morning mm. uh, they've got a longer digestive tract they don't actually need the higher protein they actually do better on moderate amounts with um, with, with a, you know a more vegetarian based uh, with moderate amounts of meat 
Um, and actually three meal, three meals a day is quite fine for these bodies with the slower turnover yep. and transit time. Um, and actually if you give them, um, low to moderate intervals and strength training that they'll actually get a better response from their exercise as well, because they've got more of that, uh, strength, um, strength, just more relation to the strength genes rather than the, uh, the, the lactate threshold type thing. So this is just one example of uh, many clients that we see like this where they feel like they're doing everything right and then we actually match them to what they should be doing um, and we start to see weight loss and, and start to see uh, ch- uh, changes happen within the health. So basically what you're saying is um, you act outside of what you're, how you're genetically geared um, in any way and that's going to stress your system um, and that's going to really make it hard for you to, to, um, to lose weight anyway. So yeah. um, I'm guessing it's going to bump up cortisol levels um, and um, inflammation as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's a, you've raised a really fascinating point there in terms of – because the body can adapt, and this is what we do know. The body does adapt to the environment you, 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 you expose it to. So, um, you know, you, you keep exposing a body that doesn't do well with carbohydrate to – lots and lots of carbohydrate and they will adapt to stay alive and that adaptation might be insulin resistance and weight gain around the midsection and whatever it might be so the body's always adapting regardless so what we're saying here is like you know bodies will adapt like i know in the in the ketogenic world for example we'll say you know one of the big things that we're saying right now is the human body has evolved to carbohydrate over the last few years and which want to switch that back to being able to work off fat as a fuel like the body can adapt so if we change the environment if we give someone a, a higher fat diet that body will start to adapt and the pathways will start to adapt to use fat as a fuel more efficiently yep. but my my argument is and my question is on this is that the most efficient way for that body mm. and in doing that is that bringing them in harmony of, with how their physiology is meant to work or are we putting more stress on that system to make it run in that way for some people higher protein will be great for some people it's not going to be so good it's actually going to create that deviation which over a long a long period of time if it's if it's left unchecked it's going to start to create an imbalance within the system yeah it seems like um the pattern is yes the human body is adaptable but it can often mean uh catastrophe in the short term <laughs> and, and and you know and to adapt uh to a medium or long term is that right absolutely and it's it's fascinating because you look at some of the studies on non-response rates um and when people have been through interventions and they've not got a result out of it. And um, what, what, so, so when, in looking at some of this literature, I've, I've looked at a bit of it in, um, in the exercise world and in, in things like improving VO2 max and improving fitness levels and losing weight, looking at hit versus steady state. Um, and you'll see people that will do uh, steady state cardio for 20 weeks and not improve the VO2 max. And the only solution is, to reduce non-response rates, they've got to do more of it. Yeah. That's the solution that people come to. It's like, well, yeah, yes, there's non-responders. Yes, the body doesn't adapt to it. But if they do enough of it, the body will start to adapt. And while that might be true, what about if we look at working smarter rather than harder hmm. and saying, well, maybe this environment isn't the right environment for that body. What if we switched it and tried something different? Could we get a, a similar response in the fitness if we used pathways which are more up their alley? So this is where you look at over the years, there's been so much research on you like Tabata training and high intensity yep. training. And you can see aerobic increase from that anaerobic type training, which is fascinating. Mm. So this is where like now what this is where my fascination lies is if you know that you've got a body that's designed for power work, give them the power training, give them the anaerobic training. They're, they're going to get fitter. They're going to get stronger because that's what their body's designed to do. If you've got someone that's that's more has more of the endurance genes, 
give them the endurance training because they'll get a better response through that. Both of them can respond. Both of them can get fitter and get healthier and get the response that they need rather than switching them and saying, well, we're going to force you to do this because this is what I believe to be true. I believe endurance is, is, is best or whatever, but it's not right for their body and they're not responding. And then we say, oh, well, if we want to eliminate non-responders, we just need to make them work harder and longer. Right. Yeah. That just doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. No, yeah. totally agree. hundred percent. Um, so if you look at um, someone who, for example, um, they want to lose weight, but they also really enjoy uh, running and they've been running their whole lives and they're not willing to give that up, but genetically they're not geared towards that. Um, what, what, how do you go about uh, coaching uh, that sort of angle, someone who's not acting in line with their genes but um, really enjoys something that fits outside of that? That is a really, really good question because the thing that we haven't touched on so far is also adherence and behavior. And that's mm. super important because at the end of the day, doing something's better than doing nothing. Um, mm. I, in an ideal world, we want them doing something that aligns with their body and what's right yeah. for them. But it's, yeah. it's getting that balance right. Um, my recommendation, and we see this a lot with um, people that want to do CrossFit and um, they – aren't the body that's designed for that super high intensity work um and my recommendation always is uh, i always tell I, I never tell people what they can and can't do yeah i think that's that's the big mistake a lot of people make when they start to hear this information is you start trying to tell people what to do um anyone can do whatever they want yeah that's the, that's that's yep. what's really important here yep. anyone can do whatever they want it's about um how can you manipulate that to make sure it's in alignment with what their body needs is one way of doing it so if i've got a, a client that enjoys CrossFit and I know that their body's not going to respond very well to that high intensity load. And um, what I might do is say, right, well, what we know about your body is if you want to, you know, in the CrossFit world, if you want to really respond and really get the most out of your workouts here and really, you know, achieve the goals that you're looking for, whether it's weight loss, muscle building, yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. uh, we know that your body responds really well to the strength stuff. So yeah. if I'm periodizing their program, I'm not going to take them out of CrossFit. What I'm going to do is say, well, let's get you working on more of your Olympic lifting. Let's get you mm. working more on your strength-based training. Like use those blocks of training more so than high-intensity stuff. And obviously, the fitter people are, the body will adapt. Yep. Uh, we can start bringing that higher that higher intensity in. But we just maybe manipulate a few variables. So they're getting a little bit more rest between sets. They're not going flat out in the first five minutes and you know becoming completely gassed and then not being able to do the rest of the workout. Um, and then obviously looking at other factors around that as well. So looking at the nutrition, looking at the sleep, making sure that if they are doing something that isn't in complete alignment, we can still yeah. counteract the stress of that with other areas or use the use the principles of that workout that they enjoy and then manipulate the variables so it's more in alignment with their physiology. Yep, that makes complete, complete sense. So say if someone had um, the goal of running a marathon and you know genetically they're not geared up for it, the way you may explain that could be something like, Yes, of course you can run a marathon, but the way that you go about it will probably be, you know, quite different to the way that um, Fred is doing it, for example. Absolutely. So if I had a, a person that wanted to run a marathon and they were more, uh, you know, they, they, they don't do well with the chronic chronic volume of, of work, they're more prone to inflammation. We have like your more mesomorphic types, you'll find they're prone to inflammation, prone to oxidative stress. Yep. Um, and with lots of volume, they're more prone to burnout, especially particularly <laughs> through the, uh, the ACTH system. Yeah. Um, so you know, exposing a body that's predisposed to those three things to an environment of long distance marathon running is not probably not the best environment for them to be in. However, if that's their love and that's what they want to do, we know that with those types, we can actually get a good training response from high intensity interval work we can use to batters, we can use um, 
yeah. interval based work to get the same response. Now, yes, they still need to build the Ks up and they still need to build the legs up to, to run the, the event, but with the right prehab, making sure yeah. you're getting the right stuff in place with the, with the right periodization in that we'd have an emphasis on um, anaerobic work as their foundation because that's what they respond to and then building their aerobic work to just to make sure they can hit the Ks. We can, we can still manipulate the environment to, um, because we're aware of those genetic predispositions, we can still manipulate that environment that they, so that they can still run the event and do what they love doing, but make sure that we're minimizing the damage along the way. Totally agree. Um, and I can relate to that entirely. <laughs> that, that was pretty much uh, my example of um, my one marathon that I did. <laughs> that I gave myself uh, six weeks to train for and uh, did all my training in 500 meter sprints up a hill. There you go. <laughs> and still managed to get it done. Yeah, yeah, and uh, blow up at thirty k's, and then uh, basically battled my way through the last uh, <laughs> twelve k's. It was good fun, yeah. but I feel like That's I learned it. a lot from it, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> it does it, and it's, it's fascinating because it comes down to what's the driver behind why that person wants to do that event, and it might be just for a one-off, or it might be it's just something they enjoy doing. But I think the awareness it's it's not about this information disempowering people to say you will never be that. But it is, I mean, but it is good to have an awareness of some people have strengths in different areas and that's okay. I think we yeah. stepped away from that yeah. for a long period of time. Yeah. It's, I was definitely one of those people that was banging this drum of we're in control of our, our life. We can do whatever we want. And, and while that is very true, we can do that. There's still gates in terms of there's still directions where some people can have strengths more than others. You only have to look at the Olympic Games to see yeah. who the marathon runners are going to be. You know who the big shot putters are going to be in the Olympic yeah. lifters. They've got a size, shape, and physiology that is designed to be strong in that area. You know, a classic ectomorph is never going to be a gold medal Olympic weightlifter. Yeah. But should that, if 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 they want to go and do Olympic weightlifting, should I the ones say don't do it? Absolutely not. They can still train it. They can still get a response. Mm. We'd make sure that we adapted the variables to make sure they're safe and you know doing it in a way that's right for them. But will they ever be that world beater? Unfortunately, yep. Yep. not because because genetically there's still a, there's still a, a, a sway in terms of which way this is going to take people. Yeah, I think there's some really good points there. And what you said before is, um, you know, when, quite often when you ask the question why, you know, why why is it that you like CrossFit? Perhaps it's the community, you know, maybe it's not the actual exercise itself. And then from there you can uh, re-navigate that space, I guess. Absolutely, understanding the, the the behavioral driver of an individual is 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 foundational in terms of adherence and really make you know helping people with weight loss or whatever the health and fitness goals may be and you and you do you realize very very quickly not only are we different on that physiological level but mentally emotionally we've all got different drivers and this can actually be mapped back to our hormones we know that there's certain gene types that have high levels of oxytocin and prolactin which means they their, their way of de-stressing or, or a high value in their life is being around people and having trust and connection so yep. you, you see a lot of people go into these group exercise classes uh, but they're not actually going for the for the workout. They're actually there for the people in the community. Mm. And and mm. and knowing that, you know, if you know that about someone, and let's say they've got they've got the body that doesn't do well with the hit training, yet they go to the group classes, which is hit training. This is where we can say, okay, well, why don't we change the group class that you go to to this type of group class? Or if you're going to go into that class, don't worry about keeping up with the the pocket rockets that are really good at the the high intensity stuff. You work at your pace uh, because them turning up and being a part of that community is still very important. And then turning up and working out is still very important. It's just how you manipulate those variables to make sure it matches that person. So we're not, um, so we're getting the best res response and, and not, um, 
exposing that person to stress that's going to make the the, the health worse yeah essentially yeah i mean from a personal level uh when i did this uh followed the system it was just absolutely fascinating um I went in with the mindset of doing this marathon to basically get into the pain cave as soon as I possibly could <laughs> um, <laughs> so I could see what I could learn from the experience because I've, I've, I've noted throughout my life that I've always learned through pain, <laughs> uh, yeah. both uh, metaphoric and physical. And that, that was what excited me. And I always thought I had a motivation issue when it came to um, setting myself up to do a marathon because the idea of training for a year, <laughs> having pre-planned uh, routines for long periods of time really... Yeah bored you know (laughs) shit out of me basically (laughs) um but now understanding that that wasn't just me being unmotivated to do that that hormonally i'm actually driven uh you know to learn through pain and energy system wise even i'm not geared up to run marathons um that just absolutely blew me away but it made a lot of sense too um so yeah some really good insights there Mm. now Cole, um what are the elements you know, I, I knew you got some really interesting uh, ideas around this. What are the elements outside of diet, uh, nutrition? You mentioned, uh, you know, circadian rhythms as well. Um, what other elements will influence fat loss in individuals? So, yeah, chronobiology is a big one, uh, making sure that we're not only exercising at the right time of day, but also our meal patterns uh, are at the right time of day. Uh, these things really have an influence on on hormones, on stress levels on inflammation so obviously again it's, it brings it back to weight loss is all about maintaining homeostasis and letting weight loss be the byproduct of you bringing your body into into harmony with what it what it's designed to do and um, so with that as well we've also got stress as we know stress is a, a huge factor when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, people losing weight um, and and obviously everything uh, we're talking stress in terms of it can be mental emotional stress it could be mm-hmm. stress from work it can be stress from social life you know you could be absolutely nailing your exercise and nutrition at the right time of day doing the right thing for your body but if you're getting up every morning and you go into a job that you don't like yep you know around people that you don't like in you know it, it, that in a in a role that's not in alignment with your values you know you don't feel on purpose you're around the wrong type of people and all of these things are causing you stress to the point where you're waking up every day unhappy then we know that this mental emotional state is going to have a physiological impact on your body and mm. um, so understanding so you know what's what what's the best environment for you socially uh, what's the best in- environment for you from a from a, a workplace point of view and we we label this as genius when we start looking at people's natural strengths and natural talents um looking at those factors are, are very very important and not for everyone uh, I, I i might add uh, you'll find yeah. this again again as with everything it's it, it affects people differently um but for for some people being around the right type of people or being in work that is meaningful or being in the right work environment is actually very, very important. And not having those things can create a huge amount of stress, which is, can then influence um, weight loss results also. Yep. Um, it's, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just, just to clarify for the listeners as well, this is um, physiological. This is not, uh, and it's measured. It's not only uh, theory anymore. So um, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. So, Carl, like, uh, you know, um, uh, so obviously there's a huge um, variance uh, around how someone might go about this, um, but there must be some blanket uh, principles um, that people can can apply. So, you, you know, um, for example, it might be we're not really designed to eat, you know, truckloads of sugar. Um, uh, what would be the blanket statements you think could apply across the board to uh, most people or everyone? 
Yeah, I'd say, yeah, things like pro- obviously processed food is, I mean, even if you've got a body that is very tolerant to eating crappy foods, it's still on a, mi- on a micronutrient level is not going to be uh, very beneficial for your, for your body. So, you know, body composition aside, we're talking like, you know, healthy food is, is very important in terms of, um, yeah, just eating real food. I'd say eating real food is always going to be a general principle that that um, can never be overlooked. You know, the the less packaged stuff and the more fresh produce, seasonal produce we can go for, the, the better. Yeah, um, and that's super important. Moving in general is is going to work. I mean, we're getting into the the, the detail today about make, working smart and not hard, and yep. you know, insur- ensuring that people are doing exercise that's in alignment with with what works for their body. But moving in general is still, you know, is 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 still important yeah. like whether that's going for a walk whether that's you know we we can't overlook the the impact of incidental activity um, and yeah. uh, you know from my times working at health retreats and just working with clients in general you know we don't move enough um yeah. you know in general so uh, getting steps in you know all, all the classic incidental ways of improving movement are, are still going to compound their effect in terms of helping people lose body fat and and, it, and i remember one of the health retreats i worked at people were coming in and we were, we were measuring steps with them and looking at you know what they do in an average week at home versus what they were doing at the retreat and we had this big acreage um, in the hinterland of the gold coast and we we had people walking up big hills to seminars we were doing bushwalks in the morning we were doing hmm. exercise sessions and some of these guys were were, were racking up uh, you know, 20, 30,000 steps in a day where when they're, when they're at home, they're doing like less than 5,000. Yeah. Um, so even just, just that alone, just moving in general is, is the, com- the compounding effects of incidental movement. You know, yeah. we, we don't want to overlook that kind of thing. So we're obviously we're not designed to sit for, um, you know, eight hours a day, basically. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I'd say, and I'd say third to that would be looking at those other lifestyle areas, stress in general yep. is going to play a role, whether that's, you know, whether whether your priority is making sure you've got work that's that's meaningful to you, whether you're mm. around the right social groups, whatever your kind of your highest values are in life, yeah. I think congruency in values um, is a is a very big factor in all of this. People that are in, in alignment with the values obviously will have lower stress. Uh, they have more con- they're feeling more control of the life. People that are in a in a living a life and a lifestyle that's in in direct conflict with the values are going to feel more of that stress. And as you mentioned before, this is something we can now measure. This is something we know affects us on a hormonal level. So, um, value alignment is is a big one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, now, at a, uh, from a practical side, um, you've obviously had a lot of a lot of clients and a lot of experiences in the industry, um, which has obviously led you to where you are now. But what small things have you noticed uh, that have had huge results in individuals? Has anything really surprised you? Yeah, in actual fact, it's crazy. You kind of go full circle when you when you when you're working with you know you kind of go right down the rabbit hole and learn all the <laughs> science and get right into it all, and then you come on the other end of it. You know, eight years through, I've come to the other end of it and realised it's actually the small changes that make the biggest difference in people. Uh, the big things we've we've come to realisation with with recently is. Uh, particularly with our night owl clients is timing. Timing is so powerful. If you can get your exercise at the right time of day um, and nutrition at the right time of day, this makes a real real difference. So we've had clients you know, that have come in exercising five times a week, not seeing results, um, just from changing the time of day that they're exercising. So taking the session from the morning to the afternoon and watch them drop five kilograms in hmm. six weeks um just from changing the timing of things and i know that sounds 
insane to even think about that timing could make that that much of a difference and it, it certainly blew my mind when i started to see those results come through but this was this is a consistent thing that we seem to wow. seem to be seeing in the world right now is there's a there's a social jet lag with our night owls because the lifestyle we're exposed to is very much um an early bird lifestyle it's yeah. it's the CEOs of the planet and the, the workplace environment we're in are all run by early birds. So yep. the whole nine to five mentality that we work from is, is geared up for the early birds. Everyone gets up in the morning, they go they go and train, they go to work, they tick things off all day, they come home at nighttime and it's repeat. And it's yep. this type of living for our for our night owls that it actually creates a little bit of, well, quite a lot of stress in their body. Mm. And we can start shifting things around like having a steadier start to the morning. And it might still be going into work. Obviously, I'm not telling everyone that they've got to quit the job and <laughs> you know, not go to work. But having a steadiest, uh, honoring that they're, they're going to be a little bit slower in the morning. And that's okay. They don't have to rush off and get stuff done. Uh, they're actually going to be very... Um, functional towards the later hours of the day uh, which is where they'll come into the strength and then switching that training to the afternoon so we're reducing the stress in the morning and we give them that stress response in the afternoon uh, we're seeing a, a huge improvement in, in in energy levels in in weight loss uh, for night hours when we get them more in alignment with with their chronotype yeah i'd agree with that that's fantastic um now Obviously, this can be quite overwhelming for a lot of people, um, and there's so much information out there, and there's so much research out there as well. Um, what value do you place uh, on coaching versus trying to go about this yourself? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we use um, technology with with our assessment. Uh, it's a it's a web based app and a mobile app that literally is like a personalized health assistant. We call it Shay. It's like Siri for your health. So it, mm. it's there to look after you as a person, and uh, it, you know it's giving you the right nutritional information for your body. It tells you what time to eat it. It, it tells you what exercise you do and what time of day you should exercise. It gives you insights into your mind. So it's a it's an incredible tool. And even with that. Um, and it's still in. It's still. Uh, it's. It's. We use it right now, but there's still features being developed all the time for exactly this reason to help increase adherence. And even with these amazing tools and technology that we've got out there right now, at this moment in time, it. It. You still can't um, get past having someone face to face to be accountable with. And particularly if you've got a coach that understands what drives you, what motivates you, understands what's right for your body, having that person to work with can be so powerful. Um, it is different in different people. We find some people are super autonomous and just want the research and just want the facts and they'll take all the information and go and do it themselves. Yep. But there's there's a good, I'd say, there's a good 50% of the population that, that will absolutely thrive off having regular touch points with a coach and having someone to be accountable to and just being able to bounce ideas off and help with barriers. You know, some, mm. as you said, there's a lot of information out there. I think one of the biggest issues we have right now within the health world is, is that we have too much information. I don't think the health crisis yeah. that we see is, is a, as a result of a lack of information. Um, I think there's a lot of analysis paralysis going on. And sometimes it's, you know, you log on Google, you go, you start looking for what to do for your health and you get bombarded with all these different yeah. ways of doing things and you don't know where to start. So, being able to clear all that um, all that confusion and just sit down with someone that understands what's right for your body and then from there set really small actionable goals that just gets rid of all the mess and all the noise, uh, allowing you to really just you know build momentum with this health game, I think is so important because we, we do fall into that quick fix change and quick fix mentality sometimes um, and I think we, we need to you know taking a step back and just taking a breath sometimes is really cool is really important because it allows us to realize that we've got the rest of our life to work this thing out you know health is 
working this health game out doesn't have to be done in a six week or 12 week challenge. It's something that we, we're constantly working on as we, as we grow and as we progress through life. So, um, having somewhere, someone along the way to help you navigate the pitfalls as they come up, help you with barriers, help you get back on track when you fall off, because relapse is a part of change, you know, falling yeah. off the wagon, so to speak, is a part of the game. It's, um, we speak about it sometimes as, as if it's this taboo thing that shouldn't happen, mm. but it, it's a part of the process. It's a part of learning. Yeah. It's how we grow. It's how we get experience. So having someone there to really navigate that with, on the health journey i think is so powerful yeah i agree you know pain plus reflection equals growth doesn't it absolutely um now on that note with you know research and being you know so confusing out there at the moment it's <laughs> i mean even being in the industry it can be super confusing um where do you think the future is of personalized uh, wellness so yeah um i personally believe it is moving towards this n equals one model so that means with our research, hmm. we're stepping away from line of best fit and we're starting to look at, rather than looking at what's happening on a broad spectrum to, to uh, you know, we take a population of X amount of people, uh, we run a study, we run an intervention, we see what the change is on average and then we, we present that as this is the intervention that works based on the average results. Now, while this has been amazing and I'm not, a, you know, I'm not against it, it's, it's been the thing that's got us to where we're at right now with our science and our knowledge. Um, I think the future needs to go towards this N equals one model, which is looking at how interventions affect people differently and what works for one might not work for another so uh, there's already a lot of work being done around the world actually in um, in universities across america and also we're, we're actually looking at doing some here in australia as well uh, where we're actually looking at personalized interventions and, and and looking at just how people respond differently to different interventions so i remember a while back and, you, and you're right when you say even health professionals are confused i remember a couple of years back when i was navigating this the web of information hmm. out there in terms of exercise and nutrition to try and help my clients get better results. And I remember watching, it was called the great nutrition debate. Um, <laughs> I remember it, that. <laughs> I mean, do you remember watching that? And uh, it was a USDA run, uh, two, two and a half hour event. And it had all the big speakers oh, of the so time. Good. It was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. It was, uh, there was, there was Dr. Atkins. There was a uh, Dr. Barry Sears. So obviously Dr. Atkins famous for high fat, high protein. Yeah. Barry, Barry Sears, who was very much in the middle who looked at the zone diet, which was your, yeah. your, your macro, which is now your, your macros, essentially what people see is like if it fits your macros and paleo. So he was very much in the middle of like balance your protein and carbs and listen to your body. And then there was a Dr. Dean Ornish, who's very much plant-based, so yeah. very much higher carbohydrate. So you've got and all of these speakers in between. And I remember just two hours worth of listening to <laughs> Dr. Atkins present information about how high fat, high protein reduces bad cholesterol and reduces body fat and and all these great results. And then Barry Sears gets up and goes, this is my research. And here's how we reduce cholesterol and reduce blood pressure and reduce the risk of heart disease and reduce <laughs> body fat. And then Dean Ornish gets up and we know Dean Ornish got some incredible research on heart mm. disease from a yeah. plant-based diet. And he shows how plant-based diets reduce heart disease and reduce weight. And, <laughs> and, and they're all equally as convincing. And yeah, they're all equally as convincing. I got to the end of this two and a half hour slot and I've gone, all right, so... <laughs> So should we who just meet halfway? <laughs> who do you believe? Yeah. Um, and I think the reason I'm telling this story is because it really highlights the point of we've got these, you know, these pioneers that have really set things up over the years as to giving us the contrast and understanding of how different foods and different, you know, exercises really influence the body in different ways. And it's got us to this point. But I think if we're going to take it to that next step, uh, we've got to start, stop looking at the, the average response. Yep. and start looking at what happens when we apply an intervention to it to an individual totally agree and uh 
This has been so much fun, Kyle. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, but before we round out, are there any uh, notes or ideas that you'd like to pass on uh, to the listeners to help them to you know, step into the best version of themselves? Absolutely. If um, anybody's looking to um, find out a little bit more about understanding what's right for their body, uh, there's ways that they can do that through um, – we use a platform called PH360, which is what we use to quantify phenotype. And that's understanding a little bit more about different body shapes, different sizes, what genes relate to that as well. Um, and, and I'm sure there's many other companies out there that are looking at more personalized, individualized approaches. I think the biggest message is uh, um, listen to your body. If, if, you know, if, if let's take the technology and all the rest of it away um, and, and, and that kind of thing away, I think my biggest bit of advice would be listen to your body. And if you're finding that you're following what's trendy in the industry right now and it's not working for you, there could be a, it's it's not that your body's damaged or you broke or there's, there's nothing you can do. There's a high probability that you're just not doing the right thing for your body. And, and the, the thing that you're following, while it might be popular and it might be working for your best friend and your family members and whoever it might be, it just might be that you, it just doesn't work for you. And it's about finding what does work for you. So whether that's through using technology like PH360 or other things that might be out there, or it's about listening to your body. But I'd say it's 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 time we step out of the, the, the dogma of let's sit in our one size fits all category of high protein or, you know, vegetarianism or hit training or whatever it might be and start looking at, well, what's actually right for, for me or the person that's in front of me. Beautiful. Hey, thanks again for coming on uh, today, Kyle. And um, for all the listeners, uh, I'll attach uh, Kyle's details um, so you can contact him and you can check out the, the platform that he operates, which I'd highly recommend. Um, and yeah, we'd love to have you back at some stage, Kyle. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Kyle. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.